Affordable housing is a basic human right, and to build a better Kentucky where all our people can thrive, safe and reliable housing is absolutely essential. I wanted to be better and meet those goals, and it wouldn't have been possible without Kentucky housing. Knowing that I had a roof over my head, um, food to eat, knowing that I didn't have to want for anything, um, that's a that's a big plus. Being a single parent and not having to worry about um, you know housing, uh, paying bills while you know being in school. But I am here to tell you that there is a lot of beauty in this part of the county. Bringing it home with KHC. Welcome back to Bringing It Home with KHC, the only podcast in Kentucky that focuses on affordable housing issues. Today we are joined by Daniel Amrine, Chief Executive Officer of the Welcome House, and Melissa Hall-Summer, the Senior Vice President of Brighton Center, both in Northern Kentucky. Thank you both for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Thank you. I gave a very brief introduction, so now I would like to give you both an opportunity to introduce yourselves and your organizations. Sure. I'll um, get us started. Um, My name is Danielle Amrine. I'm the CEO of Welcome House. Uh, Welcome House uh, started off about 40 years ago as a um, faith-based operation looking to assist those that were in poverty. Um, The following year, we opened our payee services and our shelter. Um, We have since grown. Um, We are expanding in probably four to five different regions across the state of Kentucky, offering 28 different programs to either prevent somebody from becoming homeless, um, addressing homelessness, or um, keeping people stabilized in housing. Um, We also own 93 units of affordable housing throughout the state, um, and our primary focus is taking people from homelessness to home. Thank you, Danny. Uh, I'm Melissa Hall-Summer. I am the Senior Vice President of Brighton Center, and Brighton Center started in Northern Kentucky in 1966, and we started as a storefront operation, really helping families that were moving here from Appalachia um, to get acclimated and to be able to really, um, you know, learn um, the resources available. We started as a summer recreation program, moved into a food pantry. Um, But one of the unique things that we did back um, in 1970 is we worked with um, a group of college students to do our first community assessment. So we basically really talking to the community about what the needs were. And we have, we have done that on a consistent basis ever since. And, and so all of our programs that have come about since then have been driven by the community and community need. And um, to the point that last year we served about 28,000 individuals through uh, 49 programs. Um, and those programs are everything from early childhood education, home visitation for um, parents who are expecting um, their first child, all the way through seniors. And along that route, we know that homelessness touches the demographics across that entire gamut. So we provide employment, um, substance use disorder, um, and recovery services. Uh, we run the only shelter for homeless and runaway youth in Northern Kentucky. So a gamut of services, and we really look at how we bundle services around folks so they can reach their hopes and dreams. Melissa, you mentioned that you started doing community needs assessments or talking with the community about what they need back in 1970. Uh, what's the most recent one that you've done, and, and what did you find then? So the two largest um, things that came out of our um, assessment, and we finished our assessment a year and a half ago, so those uh, strategies were moved forward, is um, housing crisis, housing number one. And number two was workforce, looking at our workforce 
um, needs in the region, and you know, really those things go hand in hand. But but overwhelmingly, um, housing, the housing crisis, housing stock, um, affordable housing, all of those areas um, were uh, consistent. And whether we talk to young families, whether we talk to seniors, whether we talk to you know um, single folks um, across the entire gamut. You know, definitely housing in the, in the current housing crisis has bubbled up to the top, and it's number one in our strategic plan for the next four years. Um, so b- back in 2019, I believe we provided about $250,000 worth of direct assistance to participants. That's housing subsidies, rent, deposit, utilities. Um, so we've experienced a significant increase in requests um, in need from people experiencing homelessness to the first time. Um, last year alone, we provided $1.5 million um, in direct assistance to participants. So we know that the need has escalated. Um, the pandemic exacerbated some already underlying issues with employment, um, with child care, with health care, with a lot of issues that we're seeing. We've ha- experienced a 40% increase in the number of people that we served. We usually serve about 5,000 individuals per year. Um, so we know that, you know, if we're taking a look at all this data, we know that people are um, needing more subsidies, more rental assistance. We're seeing a lot of first-time faces. Um, and to kind of reiterate what Melissa said, that it is difficult to find affordable housing in our region. It is one of the primary things that we struggle with, um, with people who may be underemployed or, you know, we are looking at the average rate of pay across the state and specifically Northern Kentucky, is that keeping up with housing prices and inflation? So, um, you know, one of the biggest challenges that we have is once somebody becomes homeless and enters into the homeless response system, how to get them housed and housed quickly so they can spend the least amount of time in the homeless response system. And that all kind of falls back on that affordable housing and the availability of affordable housing. Well, I think recently, you know, one of the things that has happened in our region is that uh, stakeholders have come together and the Northern Kentucky Area Development District has um, sponsored, along with the judge executives, a housing study. And one of the things that came out in that housing study is that our region, just to keep up, needs to build 600 6,650 housing units um, in the next five years. And that's inclusive of um, those who are very low income. Um, you know, 3,260 of those units are um, for folks who are uh, making between 15 and $25 an hour. And so what we're, we find is folks that um, need that level of um, housing are paying currently somewhere between 40 and 60% of their income in housing costs. And we really need to look at where are those costs coming in because as our, as folks get cost burden, it becomes more likely they can't make that rent or they wind up in a low quality um, rental, which may have issues with um, insulation, which makes utility bills go up, or are, they have a landlord who gets a code violation and then they're out put out because of that. And it just it makes that risk of becoming homeless, you know, more and more prevalent in, in the lives of Northern Kentuckians. And I think um, Danny expressed it very well by saying, once someone has fallen in that place of homelessness, it is very difficult to rebound. Um, and, and in comparison to other regions, I think we have a unique um, 
kind of a unique situation in northern Kentucky. We have eight counties, a uh, combination of rural and and um, urban and suburban. And you know when you when you split that across, it's our our areas differ quite extensively. And so what is happening in our river cities now with gentrification is um, is affecting everyone. Where folks lived, where they could get strong transportation, where they could get good jobs, where they could have access to being able to have a walkable community, those those communities are now and now they've been out priced out of them. Um, they can't. Um, those aren't feasible places for someone to live who's making fifteen to twenty dollars an hour. And I think that shows when we've seen somewhere around nine hundred you know, more affordable housing units leave our region with a zero replacement or plan for replacement. I mean, regionally, we're looking at who is who is committed to um, housing development and what might that look like. Um, but we can't forget, um, as we're developing housing for that long game, those that are living on the streets right now. So um, I think that, you know, we have to be um, in, in, the, in the now, but also thinking about what needs to happen for the future. Yeah, our region really took a hit. You know, there's always kind of a give and take when you have a really strong economy uh, and the market was doing so well that a lot of private landlords decided to sell. And so now we have these bigger companies that are coming in and either redeveloping affordable um, apartments that were, you know, they used to be affordable. And now with these renovations and stuff, they're they're no longer affordable. Um the private landlords have gotten out completely. So now they're being snatched up by these developers and other property management companies that are coming in and pushing up the rent. And our our population just can't afford it. Um, having, you know, the struggle of paying more than 50% of your income towards your rent. I mean, the the ballpark for a three-bedroom apartment has just grown astronomically, and the wages have not kept up with the the rapid increase in rents across our region. Um, so, Welcome House is we've done a lot of tax credit development and a lot of tax credit rehabs. We are currently building a 40-unit permanent supportive housing development to meet the need in the Buffalo Trace region in Maysville. Um, so we are committed. We know that the creation and preservation of affordable housing um, is, you know, a key cornerstone in ending homelessness for the populations that we serve. Um, but it's not enough. Like um, uh, Melissa said, you know, throughout the state, we're short 78,000 affordable units throughout the state of Kentucky. I mean, that's significant. And you have, um, you know, 60% of extremely low income renters paying more than 50% of their income towards their housing. So it can't just be a welcome house or a Brighton Center saying, well, we're going to build this way. You know, this needs to be systemic, you know, buy-in from our political leaders and um, through the state, the federal government to acknowledge like this is a crisis. This isn't, you know, something that we can put a bandaid on. It's something that, you know, requires action now. And luckily in Northern Kentucky, we have very supportive judge executives. We do have a lot of political will um, for the development of affordable housing. And we're very fortunate for that. But again, it's not just a Northern Kentucky issue. It's, you know, it's across the United States, but specifically throughout the state of Kentucky. Yeah, I think you make a great point about 
um, the broadness of the challenges. And it can't just be one agency. It's not just the Welcome House. It's not just the Brighton Center. Um, I was wondering if maybe you could talk about the collaboration that does happen up in Northern Kentucky and how that helps to address these challenges. I think one of the things that positions us well in Northern Kentucky, and, and again, I've, I've worked in Northern Kentucky a long time, so I haven't worked in other communities, but, um, you know, is the fact that we do work together. Um, it is it is conscious to say there might be some things that we do that are the same across agencies, across um, organizations, but we come together, you know, um, very well for the, those that we serve and for those who are hurting. And I think one example is, you know, uh, we had one housing complex that was bought and um, ev- everybody had to get out um, over a t- time period. And that was um, here in Newport. And within that time, we had probably 10 organizations that came around, met together, blended and braided you know, services, blended and braided funding to come around those families. And that doesn't happen in every community. Um, so... I think that we understand um, how to take the strengths of our individual organizations and come come to the table, but also understanding when someone else specializes in something to get behind them and support them in that in those efforts. So, you know, it does take a community response and not just an individual response. And I think we in Northern Kentucky are, are very cognizant of that. And uh, I think we, we show up in that way. I think for Northern Kentucky specifically, I think we do a great job of collaborating. Um, I know that all a lot of individual organizations like Melissa used the um, the the apartment complex and the relocation of those individuals as a prime example. Um, But we've had specific instances where, you know, we don't duplicate services. We know that Brighton Center does workforce training. They come into our shelter. They provide workforce development training to the individuals and participants that we have sheltering with us um, because we know that they do it. They do it really well. And, you know, we want to partner with, we want to leverage those relationships and the things that people do really well to really address homelessness and affordable housing in our community. How specifically uh, are your two organizations collaborating on workforce development? And then uh, what is the role of workforce development to address this this larger challenge of homelessness? Yeah, I mean, we really leverage uh, Brighton Center. Um, They are the experts in our area. They have the workforce uh, training and development center. Um, We try to, you know, any person that's looking for either career opportunities, going back to school, uh, maybe working on their resume or, you know, any kind of workforce related, we really leverage our relationship with Brighton Center. Like I said, have them come into our shelters, you know, sign people up, do uh, workforce planning and training with those individuals so they can get income or they can increase their income to be able to afford to move out into their own unit. I think a lot of times, you know, we know what we know is that in order for folks to reach financial prosperity and be able to build assets, they have to have a good job with a livable wage with a chance for advancement and a, and a, and a array of benefits. And so that that's a, a pathway that everybody starts on that pathway in a little different place. And uh, I think, you know, we've appreciated our, our relationship with um, Welcome House for many reasons, but we've been able to listen to them when they said, you know, sometimes when we send people places, it's not the starting point is not the place where our families are starting. And so how do we really meet people where they're at from a workforce development perspective and, um, and hear their experiences, you know, value those experiences and then start building a pathway, um, a career pathway for them um, to a job, um, to the next opportunity and developing um, 
a site for them where they can they can look out and see they can look out and see where they can go and what's what's available to to them in the, in the future and initially that is a job I mean, it's getting that job but what is available to kind of bundle around that workforce pathway to make sure this work supports are around folks that allow them to um, to, to go forward um, and not fall the, off the benefit cliff, right? That's a that's real um, for folks when they're trying to start working and they hit that benefit cliff, and um, and so the ability to do that is is important. And we um, we are the direct service provider and the operator for uh, our WIOA services at the Kentucky Career Center. Uh, we do have um, the training program um, called Center for Employment Training, and um, that training pro- program starts people on a rolling basis. So it's not for when people. Um, have to wait for a cohort or have to wait for a start date. They can walk in and they can start. And it's, um, it is, uh, you know, debt-free education. Um, and we think that um, being able to be tailor services to, to families, no, where, no matter where they are in the spectrum, is really important and uh, on that partnership. But I think that goes both ways. So there are things that we, we do not, you know, we run shelter for youth, but we are not running adult shelter. And so being able to support when opportunities come up, the things that um, that Danny and her team brings to the table um, around sheltering services, et cetera, looking at you know how development supportive housing. Uh, we both run a rapid housing project, but we lean in together for that. Um, it, it's really um, being very mindful not only of what we individually as organizations are doing for the community, but how we can be stronger as we leverage the power that each one of our organizations bring to really you know pushing against this issue of homelessness. Yes, yes, absolutely. So you're sort of approaching homelessness from that more holistic way by leveraging the expertise uh, of the multiple organizations up there in in Northern Kentucky. And and I think this gives us an opportunity to talk about some of those unique projects that you're currently working on. Um, Yeah, we're really excited about our Buffalo Trace development because we're we're really looking to be innovative. Um, We have a permanent supportive housing project here. Actually, we have two projects here in Northern Kentucky, Um, and they each have a case manager assigned to them that helps them stay in their homes, stay housed, work through um, any substance use issues, mental health issues, physical health issues. Um, But we're looking to take that to the next step. So at our Buffalo Trace development, we're implementing an interdisciplinary care team. So we'll have a a registered nurse, substance use case manager, as well as two mental health case managers that are directly on site. Um, So they'll be on, they'll be at the apartment complex every single day, working with families, working with individuals, making sure that they're staying housed, their needs are being met. Um, we're getting them connected to services if they need to. So this is a really new innovative model for the state of Kentucky as far as, um, you know, the support for permanent supportive housing in that population. So we're really excited about that. And why did Welcome House choose the Buffalo Trace area? We really looked at kind of what the need was at this onset of the pandemic. We started uh, outreach services in that area. And we realized that there is um, a significant population there that needs assistance. Um, part of Maysville is a lot more rural and a lot of Buffalo Trace is very rural. So we were, you know, kind of like the issues that we have here in Northern Kentucky, where a lot of private landlords, you know, sold their rental properties, their investments when the market went up. We also have just lack of Uh, facilities. A lot of it single family dwelling. There's just not a lot of apartments 
or in places to rent in the rural areas. So we knew that there is a, a need. There's a need for supportive housing um, in the Buffalo Trace region. Our street outreach have identified several people that would be eligible for that type of housing and are in critical need of that housing. Uh, the, the local government there has been extremely supportive, the judge executive. They know that that county needs more supportive services for the individuals and their constituents. So um, those are kind of, you know, kind of, of the several reasons why we picked Maysville. Um, one of the projects, we've done a couple of unique things based on some private dollars that we had about five years ago. We brought partners together to really look at homelessness in youth and um, what impacted them. And um, we, out of that came a report that had several recommendations for the region. And that work um, went to the area development district and actually um, to lead. And then they pulled together a partnership of, of, of organizations to um, look at that, um, basic those recommendations from that larger group. And a couple of them, you know, first looking at the no cost, low cost, but um, a couple of them we, we said, well, these are things we w- would like to look at as an organization. And one of those, um, the product of that was Opportunity House. And Opportunity House is uh, built as an, uh, a facility on NKU's campus where um, uh, youth, many times aspiring adults, which they like to be called aspiring adults, um, who are engaged in either uh, uh, traditional post-secondary certificate program, et cetera, many times are aging out of foster care, um, can come and live on site and um, learn. They have case management on site. It's a beautiful facility. It provides um, that you know experience, um, that college experience within a supportive environment that um, reaches multiple post-secondary. So they don't have to go to NKU. They can go to Gateway. They could go to Thomas More. They can go to the Center for Employment Training. They could be working on a certificate program um, through one of the other uh, area colleges or or technical schools. Um, so that project came directly out of recommendations that we heard um, through that um, assessment that we did around Opportunity Youth. Um, and of course, we, we have also another thing, Scholar House Project, which is um, a partnership between us and Neighborhood Foundations where they ha- where there's housing for um, single parents who are pursuing their post-secondary education and we have on-site child care. It's part of uh, the model that KHC um, supports throughout the state, the, um, the scholar house model. So we are um, very excited about those opportunities and really looking at that area of specialized housing, which is something that we feel like is a niche for us. Um, we run a lot of senior housing. Um, we offer opportunities for um individuals who have maybe special needs that would fit in those and those categories of um, those project-based sites that we have. So um, we try to look at those niches that maybe others um, that might be gaps and how do we fill those gaps and look at that, some of the specialized housing and then support others in the way of, you know, family housing. We certainly have other units that are um, family housing. Um, we are dipping our toe into supportive housing as well learning and looking at where the best opportunities might be, again, not to duplicate, but, but to really augment and, and build a real, more robust um, offering for um, Northern Kentuckians. Maybe this is a good time to turn our attention um, towards some of those specific Northern Kentuckians that you're talking about. Uh, do you each have a success story about a program or about a participant uh, that you could share? Uh, 
Um, yeah, absolutely. So we have a really incredible story um, that just happened this month. We have um, an individual who um, grew up at our Gardens at Greenup apartments. So our Gardens at Greenup is um, a subsidized um, apartment complex for single parents and preference is given to people experiencing homelessness. So she grew up at gardens. She now lives at gardens herself with her own children. Um, she's, you know, has talked about what an amazing opportunity it's been, how much she's enjoyed the support that she's received over her lifetime. And now she is purchasing her own home for herself and her family. So we're so excited and we're so proud of her. Um, but having that ability to receive the, the help when she needed it, the support, um, the subsidized affordable housing for us, for her to be able to work on her um, going back to school, um, having a career, you know, kind of getting stabilized and then being able to move on. Like that's the dream. That's what we want for all of our participants is to, you know, we're here to assist them help them become self-sufficient and then move on to the next happy phase in their life. So we're really excited for her. We have a, a situation and that I just found out about today and at one of our um, families came in and was street homeless. It was a young, young mom. And in, a lot of times um, those parents, you know, they often are, aren't able to access our rapid rehousing because many times parents will do whatever and um, help serve, um, double up, triple up, et cetera. To, to not be so that this this particular um, mother had no options and and was in a situation where she was street homeless with her child and we were able to get her into a rapid rehousing program um, be able there was an um, an opportunity to find a, a nice um, nice unit which was safe there was safety was an issue and it experienced some safety issues along her road. Um, and started our Center for Employment Training and most recently just graduated from that program as a nursing assistant and has, uh, you know, has gone out the other side. We're not providing the, the subsidy anymore, um, working full time, um, child's very secure in school and, you know, really all of those outcomes that we really want to see um, with families. So, you know, those, those are, we love telling those stories, but I'm always mindful when we, when we talk about success stories. It's, and we do it a lot in our work, right? It, it's, it's, it's one of those things as an organization that you really feel like you need to lift up because people have worked hard to get where they're at. But I always want us to think about like what folks, what happened because of what we were able to offer and what were we kind of in the systems that they had to navigate and what was in spite of some of the systems that folks face. And so, you know, how do we work on those systems so that it doesn't become a one-off for someone to get to that place where it becomes more of the norm? than the exception. And when we're not looking at people as bearing that onus of responsibility, but the systems and how the systems work for the community well-being. Um, so again, love, love, a, love a success story, but I always think about um, how are we challenging those systems so that we can see more of those successes. Yeah, that, that's a great point. What are some of those or what are the most significant, I guess, barriers or obstacles that your organizations are facing and that people are facing I think the, the affordability of housing, for sure. Um, the ability for, for landlords to understand the importance and, and the opportunity when they're able to take subsidy for their rentals. I mean, one of the events that's happening that, that you know, was lifted up earlier in, the, in our time together was this landlord forum that's happening with um, KHC, Welcome House, Brighton Center, 
um, some of our um, Penivento, um, uh, you know, managers at the schools to really talk to landlords because we have, you know, for example, there's between six and seven hundred folks on the on the Section 8 waiting list for just Newport. And, you know, there are, there's not enough housing and there's not enough landlords who, who understand and are able to really um, engage in, um, you know, taking those certificates. And I think that is, that is huge. I think that when we think about the importance, absolutely, of housing first through HUD, it, it's, a, it's important to really prioritize those folks who are, who are chronically homeless and um, really double down on providing, uh, prioritizing those folks in, in the work that we're doing. But also, what exists, um, for example, this this particular situation with that I looked it up, they fell into the chronically homeless, but so many folks don't and could have that outcome, right? They could have that same outcome. Just for a time period, I think the, the subsidy that this particular person received was for about nine months, has been, um, you know, now on, on no subsidy, been able to support. Um, and I think that, the, you know, there are many things, but you know, I would lift up those two things. I'm sure Danny has some things that she would lift up. Yeah, I mean, we we are, um, you know, aside. I think affordable housing tends to be a little bit further down the road for for us when we're working with participants who are experiencing homelessness. Um, you know, access to mental health services. Um, we have like just having an ID and a birth certificate. Just the cost associated with that. It's just you know some of these minor things end up being pretty, really significant barriers. What we might, you know, consider minor, having an ID, you know, without an ID, you can't do any of this stuff. You can't get employment. You can't get into doctor's office. You can't get benefits. You have to have that ID. Um, Transportation, you have to have accessible, especially for some of our rural areas. That's not really a a viable option for them. How are they supposed to get to where they need to be in a job interview? Um, you know, getting their kids to school where they need to be. Um, And then I think one thing that I would like to focus on, especially what our organization is advocating for over this next year, is the eviction expungement. So um, in 2019, there were were 41,000 evictions that were dismissed. So that's 41%. But on the person's record, it still shows an eviction an eviction for that individual. So that means an already tight housing market, having an eviction show up on your record is, even if it was dismissed, is going to make it twice as hard to be able to find housing and get into housing. So we are really advocating and working with the um, Kentucky HHCK, the Homeless and Housing Coalition of Kentucky, to really push for more renter protections and that eviction expungement. So glad you brought that up because we you know, we talk a lot about second chance or justice involved, which which we all look and support and and try to look up those opportunities. But that we continue to need to continue to look at that next chance for everyone, whether you're justice involved, whether it be an eviction. You know, it's it's you know it's, you know it's just more than a second chance. It's the next chance. Um, um, and you know, sometimes that's all a person needs is the next chance, and that's the, that's the one that will make a difference. What can we do to reach more landlords to convince them, if that's the right word, uh, about the benefits of using these subsidies and working with organizations like yours? Well, I, th- I think the landlord, um, you know, we, we have as a community been trying to look at what, you know, in these housing, in this housing market, landlords don't see their, that there is a need for them to, to do this. Like it, 
you know, they have from a business model perspective, which many of them, you know, are running a business. It's it's they don't they don't have to take one, right? But as a when we look at the benefits to the community and the long run, the benefit long run to the community and how it changes things um, from a rich, diverse community um, of economic diversity and what does that look like? I think it's it's looking at changing those mental models that that exist and the stigma that exists. Many times, um, you know, you know, I've talked to a few landlords that do take the certificates and say that say they have no more problems with folks that they take the certificate from than they do to general renters. But there's a stigma and a uh, mental model assigned um, based on stereotypes, based on all of those things that we try to overcome, based on bias, based on racism, based on all of those things that folks look at um, or they they assign. Um, uh, and make assumptions about folks on, on what um, what their, their situation is and what the, how kind of tenant they're going to be based on this and based on other um, characteristics that still exist in our, in our region this day, in our country. And so it's really challenging to say, how are we really challenging those mental models that folks have and that stigma? And how are we lifting up the great success that many residents have um, with even a Section 8 certificate that have great landlord experiences. So I think that the, the partnership that's happening right now with KHC and Brighton Center and, um, and Welcome House and, and many of the other providers that are coming to the table and leading this, I know Shelly Warner's taking a, a great um, lead in this process to be able to get the word out to landlords, um, but also to be able to tell some of those, frame some of those um, successes that push up against that stigma and stereotype. I think after the moratorium was lifted, we saw a pretty significant bump in the number of evictions that happened across the state. Um, and I think they continue to happen. Um, but luckily, we, you know, there's been a lot of work done around eviction prevention and a lot of programs put in place to assist um, tenants in trying to avoid ev eviction and working with landlords. Um, but I think you know, some of these bigger companies, there there is more bureaucracy, there's more layers than talking and having a human experience with a landlord. But I really think that uh, our messaging has changed over the last few years. Um, I think HUD and the federal government has also recognized the stigma and the difficulties um, trying to assist people with subsidized either rent or, um, you know, these rapid rehousing, permanent supportive housing programs and how, you know, some landlords are very leery. They maybe not understand, but there's also been a lot of incentives added to these programs to assist us to be able to get people into housing quicker. Um, and it could be very advantageous for landlords and even these companies to work with us on um, placing individuals. And, you know, something that Melissa referenced before about talking about Sometimes they have just as many problems with regular tenants than they do accepting like a rapid rehousing voucher or something like that. But we have case management assigned to those. So if there are problems, we can be in the home, we can work things out. Um, it's very, you know, it can be a very advantageous uh, relationship with landlords. I think if they fully understood and knew more about the incentives that are attached to some of these programs, how we work with participants, showing some success stories and, you know, having other landlords speak up to say, yes, I, I take rapid rehousing participants or I take 
um, people that are in the permanent supportive housing program and I've not had any issues with them. I think it's all about collaboration and communication and education. Absolutely. Absolutely. As you say, it all comes back to collaboration. It's kind of where we started the conversation and, and a good place to end. So before we go, if community members or people who are listening want to get involved or um, get engaged or even um, reach you, uh, how can they do that? Yeah, I mean, anytime uh, you can um, go to welcomehouseky.org and that has uh, all the ways to get involved, whether if it's a donating to our shelter, something off of our wish list, volunteering, um, you know, being part of the, the solution. You know, we always welcome any kind of involvement from the community to help us further our mission. And you can go to brightoncenter.com and um, you will um, see the same kind of opportunities. But I think as when you think about that, think about not only what you as an individual can do, but there's family volunteer opportunities. There are volunteer opportunities for your corporations um, coming around and understanding. I think getting the word out to your neighbors and friends about um, you know some of the struggles that we talked about today and some of the opportunities to make a difference in this world. Um, we, we have a strong community here, but we can be stronger. And we can meet this head on together. And I think that our ability to seek to understand what folks are facing and how do we push up against some of those metal models that, that keep us stuck and keep us spinning. Um, and really looking at if you know a landlord, you know, I would uh, encourage you to invite them on the 24th to the event. Um, it's a group of folks, as, as we've talked about, uh, Kate. KHC is taking a lead, Brighton Center, Welcome House, all of our Benvenuto uh, partners, and it will be at Life Learning Center. So um, if you uh, know a landlord, um, please have them show up, um, um, seek to understand, talk to other landlords um, from a business model, you know, those who, who are running a business model who, who use voucher as a part of their revenue stream and um, a part of how they are able to maintain a home. Um, with uh, the families that we serve and we prioritize. Well, Melissa and Danielle, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, that's a wrap for bringing it home today. We truly hope you've enjoyed our discussion. If you'd like to find out more information about Kentucky Housing Corporation, please feel free to visit www.kyhousing.org. That's www.kyhousing.org. If you'd like more information about this podcast and blog, you can also visit www.bringingithomeky.com. That's www.bringingithomeky.com. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can also email us at communications at kyhousing.org. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you bring it home with us again.